Good morning. It's good to be back here with you after uh, a couple weeks of uh, vacation that we enjoyed a lot. As we open God's Word this morning, let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You for giving us Your Word, telling us the stories of Your people that we can learn from them, we can grow from them, and we can understand who You are. And Lord, help us to understand these things that You have had written down for us to learn from, that we could grow, we could experience more of You, and we could be transformed to be like Your Son, Jesus, through Your Word. We pray You'd open our Ears, open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, we all have families and families uh, from time to time. uh, We have family get-togethers. It becomes harder to do as your family gets bigger and as families grow and as they uh, spread apart geographically. It becomes Uh, harder and harder for families to get together. But this year, for my dad's birthday in July, just a couple months ago, uh, we all, my family, we all got together for the first time in quite a long time. We had seen each other uh, as uh, individuals and we had crossed paths with each other, but for all of us to be together, it was kind of an unusual thing. I don't know how long it had been, but with us being in Africa with families and everybody's busy schedule, it was really hard to get together. But this year, in July, we managed to do it. We had to do it by uh, making plans to do this a year ahead of time. So last year in July, we said, okay, everybody this year, keep your calendars open and keep a save a date and we'll we'll come together for my dad's birthday in July. So all four of uh, all four of us kids uh, and their spouses were together with my mom and dad, and we managed to all be in one place at one time. Most of the grandchildren were there. All of the granddaughters were there. All of my dad's granddaughters were there. Some of the grandsons were missing. But anyway, it was a good time, and it was a, a good a time to be together, to hang out a little bit, to share a little bit about life and the things that have been going on. Uh, over the years. So, we all know about these family reunions and sometimes uh, sometimes we look forward to them, sometimes we don't. But in our passage today, as we look at Genesis chapter 46 and 47, we see a family reunion of sorts. A family being brought back together after many years of being separated. This is Jacob and his family coming together after about 20 years of separation. And for sure, after all that time, there was a whole bunch of family connections to renew. There were nieces and nephews and aunties and uncles to meet for the first time. and uh, So there were new connections to be made as well as old ones to be uh, refreshed. So this story in Genesis 46 and 47 is a family reunion. But it's much more than that as well. It's not just about the family coming together. There are other things going on. So let's uh, take some time to look at these two chapters, Genesis 46 and 47, just to remind ourselves where we were. There was a famine in uh, the whole region. 
Remember, as we've been looking through at the life of Joseph, the famine has come on the whole region. Not just Egypt, not just Canaan, but the whole region is affected by this famine. And Joseph's brothers living in Canaan, they had heard there was food down in Egypt, so they traveled back, or they traveled down to Egypt to get some food, to get some grain. They traveled back to Canaan. The famine continued on. They ran out of food again. And so they make another journey down to Egypt to get some more food. And as they were in there in Egypt, both the first and the second time, they came in contact with Joseph, their brother, who they had sold into slavery years before in, down into Egypt. Joseph knew his brothers right away as soon as he had seen them, but he kept his own identity hidden. And so there was this interplay between Joseph and his brothers. With Joseph on one side, knowing what was the whole picture and his brothers uh, staying in the dark a little bit. But the second time they go back into Egypt to get some more grain, the second time uh, that they have to go and talk to Joseph, uh, Joseph tries to continue to hide his real identity, but he can't, uh, he can't handle that anymore. That causes him... Uh, some upset in his heart. And so eventually he has to come clean to his brothers and tell them who he is. And his brothers, of course, are expecting him to be angry with them and maybe wanting to punish them for what they had done to him. But Joseph was seeing things differently. Joseph was seeing that God had somehow orchestrated all of these events, put them together in order to save his family. So Joseph is reunited with some of his brothers. And this is the beginning of the family reunion. And then because of all that Joseph has done uh, for Pharaoh and all that Joseph has done for Egypt, Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, he is favorably inclined to Joseph. He looks kindly on Joseph. So when he learns about Joseph's family and his brothers and the trouble they're having in Canaan, uh, he he says, no, bring them down. Let them come to Egypt and be with you. And he even offers, he sends carts up to Canaan to go and fetch Joseph's family and all of his things and bring them down into Egypt. Family is so important in all cultures of the world that Pharaoh knows this and he respects that. And so he looks and he says, no, Joseph, I respect you. And I appreciate what you've done. You should be together with your family. And so he makes that arrangement for the families to all come down to Egypt and be together. And so that's where we start our story here in Genesis 46 with, with Jacob and all of his descendants loaded on these carts heading down into Egypt to be with Joseph. So let's take a look at... Uh, some of the things here in Genesis 46 and 47. So first of all, in starting in Genesis 46, verses 1 to 7, we see this journey back down into Egypt, or, or, or down into Egypt. And it says, So Israel, Jacob, set out with all that was his, and when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied, I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again, and Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. 
Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives and the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. They also took with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan, and Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt. He took with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters and all his offspring. So here is the beginning of this story in these two chapters, Jacob is heading off with all of his stuff, all of his, uh, all of his descendants, and uh, sets off with everything he has. In verse 1, everything, people, possessions. So he has all of his family, his livestock, all of his stuff is with him. It says they took with them, in verse 6, they took with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. Interesting that the possessions get mentioned here. You know, often we, uh, we, we don't focus on possessions and we don't want to talk about them. You know, the disciples, and even, even when we look at Scriptures, the disciples are told, well, no, when you go, don't take anything with you. Just take the clothes you have and, uh, and just go. Leave everything behind. Don't, uh, don't be consumed with the, with the things of life. And Jesus teaches us not to worry about our possessions because they may become like gods to us. Thing, idols that distract us from the worship of God. And those things aren't lasting. Those things don't go with you. And so we have this idea maybe that somehow our possessions are bad and evil. But here, Joseph, or Jacob takes them with him. He needs to go. The reality of life is that we have stuff. We need to have it. We need to have pots and pans to cook with. We need tables and chairs and these sorts of everyday things. We really do need more than the clothes on our back. We need the tools to practice our trades with so we can make a living. The important thing is that those things don't become our God. But here, we see this is, a, this is important, that all the things went with uh, Jacob down into Egypt. So they set out. It says, Israel set out with all that was his. But then he, it says, when he reached Beersheba, in verse 1, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. How many of us have ever been on a road trip where you seem to just get rolling and then you have to stop? Oh, I need to go to the bathroom. I forgot something. We need to turn around and go back. How many of us have had that, that sort of experience? Or, or the other one that, that happens, you know, oh, let's just, let's just stop here for a break. And you, you just feel like you've got rolling uh, nicely on your journey, and now you have to stop and, and take some kind of break. For those of us like myself who are very destination-focused, those things get very frustrating on the journey. I just want to get to where we're going. I don't want to enjoy the journey. I just want to be where we're headed. And here, we don't seem to get very far, and, uh, and Jacob decides to stop and worship. Now, we may have stopped for all kinds of reasons, but how many of us have stopped on our journey and said, wait a minute, we need to stop, let's stop the car and have a little worship service before we go any further. That probably doesn't happen very often, but here is, here is Jacob. He wants to stop and worship. This is important to him. He stopped and offering sacrifices. Why would he do such a thing? Back in Genesis chapter 35, you see, Jacob was told that he should settle in the land of Canaan, that that's where he was going to be established. That's where he was going to settle. 
He was going to go there. And he was going to establish his family. He was going to build a life for himself there. Now, uh, and, and when he got, back in Genesis 35, when he got to Canaan, he built an altar and he worshipped there. Now he's leaving this place. And it must have seemed a little strange to him that after God had promised him that this was the place he was going to be, now it seems he has to leave the same place. He thought he was settled. He thought he was uh, established here. He thought this was sort of the end of the of the travels, an end of the of the wandering. And now he's leaving. And so as he first went into Canaan, his response was to worship. And now as he's leaving, he wants to worship God again. Somehow I think in the back of his mind there, he's like, okay, I don't get this, but I'm committed to God. So I'm going to worship Him. Even as I'm doing something here that I don't quite understand. Here I am trying to, I'm leaving the promised land. I'm leaving the land that God has given me. I don't quite get this. I don't quite understand this. But he worships God. He turns, he trusts God, and he says, I'm I'm worshiping you. Interesting, too, that when we jump to the end of this passage in Genesis 47, if you want to jump there, Genesis 47, verse 31, we'll get this and discuss this a little bit more, but he says, Swear to me, he said, Then Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. So here we have worship at the beginning and the end of this passage. But we see that in this little bit of confusion and in this time of worship, God comes and He meets Jacob. And so that night, God speaks to Jacob. seems He speaks to Jacob in some clear and exact way. And he tells Jacob what's going to happen. And then Jacob in turn responds and he keeps going. But God comes to Jacob in that moment of wondering, what is going on here? Why am I leaving the place that God has told me to come to? God comes to Jacob and He reassures Jacob. He reassures him with a promise. We see He, re- he repeats, he-, he makes some promises to Jacob. And we see that in that interaction with God and, and, uh, and Jacob in Genesis 46, verses 3 to 5. Part of it, uh, the first thing that God says to him is, I am God, the God of your father. So God identifies himself to Jacob, says, this is who I am. And he tells Jacob, do not be afraid to go down into Egypt. This is okay. I promised you, or I gave you this land of Canaan to live in, but it's okay. Now is the time you need to go down into Egypt. This is all part of my plan. And Jacob is reassured that it's okay. This step that he's taking in leaving the promised land is not a step of disobedience, but in fact is a step of obedience. It's all part of God's plan. God's plan is working out. His promises are being fulfilled. You can go anywhere and, and God is going to be with you. God is not just bound by uh, working in a certain place in a certain time. 
And so God's promises will continue to be fulfilled. God's promises of being with Him. God's promise of making Him into a great nation will be fulfilled. God uh, reminds Jacob that he is going that this is part of the plan. I will make you into a great nation there. This is all part of this nation building process of building the whole nation of Israel, of transforming them from a family into a nation. And God says to Jacob, it's okay. Go down to Egypt. It's all part of my plan. He might have been thinking, how is God's promises going to be fulfilled if I go down to Egypt? And God says, don't worry, that's part of my plan for fulfilling my promises to you. In commenting on this passage, Matthew Henry years ago made the comment that, uh, about God's promises. And he said, though the fulfilling of promises is always sure, yet it is often slow. Though the fulfilling of promises is always sure, yet it is often slow. And that's what Jacob needed at that moment. That reminder that God's promises are going to be fulfilled in this. And so God reassures him that He is going to make him into a great nation. A promise that was given to his grandfather is still there for him. And he says, don't worry, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to, to, uh, to go. He says in verse 4, I'm going to be with you, even in Egypt. I'm not bound by geographical limitations, even when you go down to Egypt. In a land where they're worshipping other gods, you don't have to worry, I'm going to be there with you. I am not just limited geographically. So he gives him that promise and that reassurance that he's going to be with him. And then he gives him a promise. A promise that's just for him. A promise that Jacob himself can hold on to. And he says, I will surely bring you back again. He reassures Jacob, don't worry, you will come back to the promised land. We know the end of the story. Jacob doesn't make it back to the promised land alive. But he is buried back in the promised land. That promise that God makes to Jacob is fulfilled. And so he reassures Jacob. He says, don't worry. You will go back to the promised land. And in a strange way, he also gives them this promise, Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. You will be with your favorite son until the end of your day. And that's what, he's, that's what God is saying. That's the promise that He's giving to Jacob. That wonderful reassurance that you will be with your most beloved son until the very end of your days. And it will be Joseph who will close your eyes in death. He gives him this wonderful promise. Just for Jacob, has no application to us, really. But, he, but God reassures Jacob by giving him a specific individual promise. A wonderful a demonstration of God's love and care for his servant Jacob there. And then Jacob responds with obedience. He then, he then goes. He then can proceed on. God has reassured him that this is uh, this is the right thing to do. So Jacob gets a reassurance of an old promise and then he responds in obedience to what uh, God has asked him to do. Maybe God asks us to do at times 
some things that require us to really trust Him. Things that don't seem to make sense from our perspective. And we can hold on. At those times, we can hold on to that promise that God, when God says, I will not leave you. That promise is given early on in Scripture and affirmed again and again in Scripture that God will not leave us. No matter what kind of situation we are in, maybe God is asking you to leave your Canaan, your place where you are comfortable and secure and happy and settled, and God is somehow asking you to leave. Maybe physically leave. Maybe go somewhere else. Go serve Him some corner of the world. Leave this place. Leave your comfort. Maybe it's just a, a, an emotional place, a psychological place, a figurative place where you're comfortable and God is saying, go. Expand your horizons. Move beyond this place of comfort to serve Me. Trust Me. Because I will be there with you. And then we can look at Jacob. And as we go, we can stop and worship. We can worship God as we're going to serve Him wherever He might ask us to do, whatever He might be asking us to do. God can sometimes ask us to go somewhere and do something that doesn't really make sense. Why would Jacob want to leave Canaan? It doesn't make any sense. But sometimes God asks us to do that. And we need to be open to it and be willing to follow Him holding on to that promise that God gave us, that He will never leave us. So we see this, this journey starts out with Jacob uh, receiving this promise uh, for him. And a reminder of a promise that was given a couple generations before. It was given to Abraham. Then we move on from... Uh, in chapter 46 from verses 8 down to 27 and we see a detailed list of the family that goes with uh, Jacob. It starts out as a, a list of all those. It says it's, a, it's uh, in verse 8, these are the names of the sons of Israel, Jacob and his descendants who went to Egypt. Interesting to note too there that in this list, Joseph is included. Joseph had gone to Egypt, of course. He'd just gone a little earlier than the rest of the family and under different, slightly different circumstances. But they want to include Joseph. Joseph is part of this family. And so even in that list, even in that list, uh, we see uh, Joseph being mentioned. So here's a, a list of great names if, you, if you're expecting children. Here's a, here's a wonderful list of names you can, you can pick from. Uh, I don't know how much your, your kids might appreciate it, but there's in, in verse 21, there's names a good name for some twins. You could call them Muppin and, and Huppin. They, they would, your, they would, your children would really appreciate you. If you've got three, uh, three boys, perhaps, there could be from verse 17, Imna, Ishva, and Ishvi. And, and your sons would really thank you for a long time for those names. But, but there's all sorts of names in here. And at times in the Bible, you come across these passages where it just seems to be names. And you say, why, over the last three and a half thousand years, were these names of the 70 or so people who traveled from, with Jacob from Canaan down to Egypt preserved for us? 
Think of over the years how many scribes copied these lists of names. How much ink and parchment and goatskin was spent copying these names. And you have to say, why? The answer is families are so vitally important to God. To know every name, to have those names there. This is important to God. That we remember that, that this family went together. And the whole point of the journey, from a human perspective, it was to go where the food was. But I look at it and I say, what was happening there? God was reuniting family. He was bringing family together. It was important to God to see this family reconnected and joined together. There needed to be wholeness in this family of Jacob. And for 20 years, there had been division and brokenness. And God says, I need to bring wholeness to that family. And isn't it amazing? How does God bring that wholeness? He brings it by causing a famine throughout a whole region. By, taking one, by, by having one member of the family elevated to the highest place in Egypt, causing a famine throughout the land, and then using that to bring this family together. This is important to God. And so this is a reminder as we read this list. It's a reminder of the importance of wholeness in our families and in our communities. Everyone needs to be counted. Everyone needs to be included. And we need to be working to have wholeness. Is there brokenness and, and in your family? They're in your community that needs God's touch to bring it together. We talk about wholeness on a personal level, about restoring our relationship with God, but what about wholeness and unity in our community? We need to be working towards that as well. The Bible talks about how wives and husbands should interact, about children uh, needing to obey their parents and the parents not frustrating their children. The Bible talks about us being salt and light in the world and those things are all pointing to uh, restoring wholeness in community. And that's what God wants us to do. Asking for and extending forgiveness to one another. Those are things that bring wholeness into a community. And so we need to think about that and our role in bringing wholeness into a community. So then the story proceeds on, verses 28 to 34 of chapter 46, and they reach the promised land. They proceed to a place called Goshen, which is the neighboring area to Canaan. It's the area where Egypt touches Canaan. So they don't leave there they don't leave the promised land very far. They just sort of go into the next country just nearby. And there is, when they get there, there is this emotional reunion between father and son. And we see that in Genesis 46, verse 29. It says, as soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw around his arms around his father and wept for a long time. So here is this wonderful picture of a father and son coming back together weeping together, tears of joy. Imagine after Jacob, 20 years or so, thinking his son is dead, to finally see him there. It's like he has come back from the dead. 
He's come back from the dead. And there is a great blessing in this to Jacob as he is brought back together with his son. This is a, that he is blessed through this. That he knows and he's seen Joseph. And that blessing is part of what God had promised to Jacob's uh, grandfather, Abraham. That blessing that, he, that God gave to, to Abraham back when uh, God first called Abraham. And this is in Genesis chapter 12, and God uh, gives this, this uh, promise to Abraham. And He says, I will make you into a great nation. And remember, that's what God says to Jacob. Go down to Egypt. I'm going to make you a great nation there. This is part of the fulfillment. And I will bless you. He says, I'm going to bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Keep that in mind as we look at this. And see the fulfillment of that promise in the life of Jacob. And that fulfillment keeps on rolling. It doesn't just end with Jacob, but it keeps on unfolding. But here it's being fulfilled in the life of Jacob. And Jacob has this tremendous blessing here in verse 29 and 30 of Genesis 46. He has been brought back together with his son Joseph. And in verse 30, Israel says to Joseph, Now I am ready to die, since I have seen for myself that you are alive. He has received such a blessing that he really doesn't need to live anymore. Jacob is saying, I don't... This is, this is such a blessing to me, I don't need anything more in life. I've seen Joseph and I've seen he's alive. This is a blessing. And it keeps rolling. The blessing keeps going. And it even goes down to all of Abraham's descendants. And interestingly, Paul, the Apostle Paul, picks up this idea and then turns and points it to us today. Thousands of years later, this blessing that God has promised to Abraham keeps on rolling. He says, Paul says in Romans chapter 9, verse 8, in other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offsprings. We, those of us who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, are regarded as the children of promise. We are Abraham's children. The Bible also talks about us being adopted into God's family. That's how we become one of Abraham's children. We're not one of his biological children or one of his biological descendants, but we are adopted into that family. And so we have that claim on God's promises to bless us. In Galatians chapter uh, 3, verse 14, Paul also says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. There it is even clearer. The blessings promised, given to Abraham, might come to the Gentiles. That's you and I. We are not Jews. We are Gentiles. Through Christ Jesus. How do we access those blessings why are we entitled to those blessings of Abraham? Because Christ Jesus connects us. Our faith in Christ Jesus connects us back to those promises of Abraham. 
So when we look and when we read the account of the promises that God had made to Abraham being fulfilled in the life of Jacob, that blessing, we can look and we can say, where is the blessing in my life as well? How have I been blessed? Genesis chapter 46, verse 34. It goes on and they, Joseph anticipates where they're going to settle in Egypt. He's not really in charge of this, but he looks at the situation. Joseph has traveled throughout Egypt and he knows probably in Goshen will probably be the land that you're going to settle in. And here is another blessing that they have. He says, you, he says then you will be allowed, this is uh, Joseph uh, uh, speaking, and he's anticipating what Pharaoh is going to say, and he says, then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Well, it might not seem like much of a blessing, but what he's saying is there's an area, there's a part of Egypt where you will be welcome, where you can practice what you know, which is looking after livestock. The Egyptians aren't going to bother you there. You can live, we can live as a family together there, and uh, we can grow together there. So this is another blessing. And in turn, what Joseph is doing is setting in motion uh, something that's going to happen, and we get a hint of that at the end of, uh, uh, at the, uh, in, in, the, in the verses ahead where they are going to increase in number. They are going to be fruitful and increase in number. And they have a place. God has provided a place for them to do this. Joseph has shown his character in selecting this place. He could have put them in the desert or suggested they go in the city, but that would have robbed them of their livelihood. Instead, he says, no. Go to this place where you can do what you can know how to do. Look after the livestock. Your family can settle you can, you can grow, you can have your children, and it will be a blessing. And so here's another uh, blessing for them. So then we move into chapter 47, verses 1 to 12. First of all, five of the brothers go in to talk to Pharaoh. And uh, they go and they get a chance to meet him. And Pharaoh asks them, what do they do? What's your occupation? And they say, well, we're, we're shepherds. Uh, we look after livestock. And they ask, can we settle in the land of Goshen? And Pharaoh says, it sounds good to me. Go ahead and do that. And then Jacob, interestingly, is brought in. So after his brothers go and the the decision is made about where they're going to settle, Pharaoh uh, wants to see Jacob. And so in chapter 47, verse 7, it says, then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. Well, by this time, uh, by this time, Jacob is probably 130 years old. So I guess Pharaoh probably wants to meet this old man, and of course, as a as a sign of respect for Joseph, he wants to meet his father, and that's that's kind of a natural thing. But look at what Joseph or what what Jacob does when he goes in and meets Pharaoh. It says, then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh, and then he says. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Imagine, here's this shepherd, this old man from Canaan, going in before Pharaoh, and what does he do? He turns around and he blesses Pharaoh. Well, who are you to bring a blessing to Pharaoh? You can imagine Pharaoh would be like, 
Who is this old man giving me a blessing? What kind of thing is this? What kind of audacity does this old man have to come and and pronounce some kind of blessing on me, Pharaoh? And yet, that's exactly what Joseph does. And then at the end of the little conversation they have in verse 10, it says, Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and he went out from his presence. So he blessed him when he went in and he blessed him when he went out. I can only wonder what Pharaoh must have been thinking. Like, who is this guy? And what have I got myself tangled up in here with this family? What would a humble, starving shepherd have to offer to me, Pharaoh? But the blessing isn't from Jacob. The blessing is from God Himself, the Creator, Sustainer of the universe, the One who is in control of all things and in control even of Egypt. We can, we can ask a blessing on others the same way Jacob blessed Pharaoh. But we see the story unfolds. The, the famine continues. We, see, we read from verses 13 to 26. Unfortunately, the famine continues. People have no more food. It says in verse 14, then Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt. So people started bringing all their money. They bought all the food that had been stored up. They bought it back from, from uh, Joseph and from Pharaoh. They used up all their money. Now they have nothing left. And then it says they brought in their livestock in verse 17 and they traded their livestock for food. So now Pharaoh's got all the food, he's got all the animals, and all the money in the whole country. Now the people, the famine continues, the people still have nothing left. And so finally they offer themselves. And in verse 19 it says, Buy us, buy us and our land in exchange for food. They have reached rock bottom. They have nothing left. No money, no animals, nothing And they say, take us. We'll sell ourselves into slavery for food because we've got nothing left to offer. Things have hit rock bottom here and Joseph uh, accepts that. Now all the land and all the people belong to Pharaoh. But in turn, Joseph, he takes all of that and he gives them grain. And he says, you plant. You keep you keep, uh, you keep most of it, but you bring 20% and you give it back to Pharaoh of what you harvest. So he allows them to kind of live with some kind of dignity, some kind of looking after themselves even in this desperate, desperate situation. And yet in all that, the people recognize uh, what, uh, what Joseph has done. In verse 25, they respond to Joseph and they say, you have saved our lives. You have saved our lives. God is fulfilling a promise in all of this. Think back to that promise of Abraham. Through you, all, you, all nations will be blessed. And here we see God using Joseph, fulfilling that promise made to Abraham through Joseph that all nations will be blessed. Jacob blesses Pharaoh. The Egyptians appreciate what Joseph has done for them. That promise to Abraham is ringing in our ears right now. All people on earth will be blessed through you. Blessing and being blessed. A promise is fulfilled and an appropriate response is given. 
people, uh, God's people are blessing others. Jacob is blessing Pharaoh. Joseph is blessing the whole nation by providing for them. Paul talks about receiving a blessing through the prayers of many. So we can bless people in different ways. We need to look and see the blessings that God has given in our own lives, but then we need to stop and see how we can bless others. When we were on holidays in Jasper just recently, we, uh, we took a small tour of the town of Jasper, and it was uh, just a guided tour. And there was just uh, my family and a couple of others in the tour, and it was led by a, a young lady by the name of Emma. And interestingly, the tour ended in a small church, in a small Anglican church. And uh, at, the end of the, at the end of the tour, we were there in the church, and we were just uh, having a look at the church, and Emma and Lydia got in a conversation. And at the end of that conversation, Lydia says to Emma, can we pray for you? And Emma is just sort of taken aback, like, okay, what do I have to do? Do I have to do something here? And it's like, no, no, we'll just, we just want to pray for you. We just appreciate this. And we just prayed a prayer of blessing on Emma. Now, it takes a certain amount of, uh, uh, of outgoingness, of being a sort of an extrovert to be able to do that. But we can pray for, for each other. We can pray for others who are a blessing to us. We can pray a blessing on them. And maybe we don't have the courage to, to stop them and say, hey, can I pray for you right now? But even as you go, when you meet someone, you can pray a blessing on them. It's a simple thing to do. And then the, the, the final thing here is that as this wraps up from uh, these two chapters wrap up in verses 27 to 31. Uh, it says in, in verse 27, chapter 47, verse 27, the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. So God is blessing them once again. Part of the promise there is being fulfilled in the land of Egypt. God didn't, doesn't need to be in just one geographical area to be a blessing. God just, we don't need to be just within the walls of this church for God to bless us. So, there are, they, the famine seems to be over. It must have been over by this time. And they were fruitful. They were increasing in number. And this was the blessing that God had given them. Jacob lives many years in the land of Egypt. Uh, he suffered through the, the final years of the famine, but in, he, in the end, he greatly outlived the seven years of famine. He saw that prosperity and that growth and that productivity of his family. It must have been very rewarding and a real blessing to him to see that. And then at the ripe old age, it says of 147, it says in verse 29, when the time drew near for Israel to die, he calls his son Joseph to him. So he's getting old and he recognizes he's on his deathbed and he wants to be sure that he's going to be buried in the promised land. And he makes Joseph promise that uh, in verse 30, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they were buried. And Joseph responds and he says, I will do as you say. So Jacob knows he's coming to the end of his life. and He just wants to make one last journey back to Canaan and be buried with his uh, ancestors, with his fathers. And so, he puts that responsibility on Joseph. 
And then as he comes to the end of his life, as we looked at it briefly at the beginning, it says Israel, Jacob worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. So his, as he's getting to the very end of his life, he just wants to worship God. He appreciates God for all that God has done for him. Here we see in this story a family being brought back together. Family that, that is living out the fulfillment of the promises of God. Not all the promises of God are fulfilled in this family. Some of them continue. Some of them will be worked out even after our time is gone. But we are connected back to Joseph's grand, or to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. We enjoy those promises and blessings that God gave to Abraham. And we also need to be people of the blessing. As we are blessed, we can think about how we can be a blessing. As Joseph and as Jacob was a blessing, gave a blessing to others, we need to be a blessing too. As we see God blessing in our lives, we can be a blessing. And all of that is in fulfillment of a promise that God has given to us. Let's pray. God, we thank You so much for the way You have fulfilled Your promises to us and to Your people over the centuries, over the millennium. And Lord, help us in response to those promises that have been fulfilled, help us to be a blessing to others around us. Help us to see today or this week how we can be a blessing. We ask that you would show us, open our hearts and our eyes to see how we can bless others the way Jacob and Joseph blessed others in their time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand with me? And let's worship.
we just worship you and um, we just remember that your promises are good forever. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. You are good to me. You are good to all of us. And we thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, help us to, this week as we go, to see your goodness in our lives. Help us to see your blessing. And Lord, help us to be a blessing to others as we go. Lord, day by day, may we see your hand of mercy at work in us. And may we extend that hand to others as well. Lord, you are good. Now may the grace of God the Father, the love of Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.